So if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Hebrews. We are, we started Hebrews, what, last week? That's right. Hebrews. Hello to everyone watching online. I know there's a few people watching. Hello. Book of Hebrews is, uh, we were in James. We finished James, so we're right next to our James. We're towards the back of your Bible. And we do uh, study the scripture verse by verse. Hebrews, uh, we're still going to be in the first chapter, probably the first <laughs> few verses. I'm going to mainly focus on verse um, 3, 4, 5, and possibly 6, okay? Maybe 7. God, verse 1, having spoken to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days spoke to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power, who having accomplished cleansing for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels worship him. And in the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers flaming fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning founded the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will wear out like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up, and like a garment they will also be changed, but you are the same." and your years will not come to an end. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I've put your enemies as a footstool for your feet? Are they, angels that is, not all ministering spirits sent to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Now Hebrews is actually a sermon that's sort of in letter forms, a sermon that at the end he adds some things, some elements of the letter. And the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it is. It's uh, speculation. It's probably not Paul because the writer uses a different form of Greek. He uses actually more eloquent Greek. And he quotes exclusively from the Septuagint. The Septuagint was the Greek Old Testament. It was the Bible, uh, even in that day, uh, of 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 the early church, okay? If they didn't read Hebrew scriptures, they read the Greek Septuagint. It was possibly, it could have been Barnabas, 
as the writer, it could have been Apollos. Apollos was a, a, a great communicator. We don't know who it is, but we know he's very effective. He knows, he's no, he knows his Old Testament scripture. In fact, in this chapter alone, he quotes from multiple Psalms, from Deuteronomy, and his people who are listening are probably well aware of those scriptures. So it's probably Jewish believers, maybe some Jewish non-believers in their midst who are, who are listening. And they have gone through a significant period of persecution in their lives. They have trusted the Lord, and earlier in their lives, they, uh, as the writer says, uh, they had borne uh, with a lot of these persecutions, you know, trusting God. But now something has happened, and they're sort of sorting of thinking about drifting away and rethinking Jesus and maybe going back to their to their Jewish ways and the, the old the, the law and the old covenant. And so one of the, the, the main purposes of this letter is to encourage them to keep a Jesus, okay? That there's no comparison be, between Jesus and everyone else, basically. And he's reminding them what they have in Christ. And sometimes sometimes life gets us down, right? Sometimes the, the weariness, the trials of life, we get discouraged, and it's easy to, get, to forget kind of savior that we have and so right off the start he is going to he actually uh, i love hebrews because it has such high christologies all about christ and the first three verses he says jesus he's he's god he's everything right he is um he is glorious and he is um he is better than anyone compare and the first comparison is going to compare with angels we'll talk about why he does that because i was like why is he doing this like angels what what you know well, we'll talk about that. But Jesus is superior, superior in so many ways. If you think about leaving Jesus, let me remind you, he says, of what you have in Christ. Right? Look what it says uh, on verse 3. The last part, he says, who, having accomplished cleansing for sins. Do you see that right there? I mean, that right off the bat, you could just, we could just stop right there because at the end of the day, that's the one question you have to ask. Who, what do you do with your sin? I remember when I was in college and uh, I was uh, talking with, um, with a Muslim man from, uh, he's from Africa. I think his name was Solomon or something like that. But I said, what do you do? Who atones for your sins? How do you wash your sins away? You can do all these good works and you can do all the, the rituals and all the structure and do, be very religious and do all the activities, bow, pray, everything else. But what do you do with your sin? Who washes that away? Because at the end of the day, all this stuff is good, but it's not, it's not good if there's no cleansing of sin, right? At the end of the day, that's what the whole purpose of Christ is to come and wash away. That's the first purpose, right? To wash away. So he says, he says, who having accomplished cleansing for sins. That's priestly talk right there. Jesus is superior because he's a better priest. Amen. Now, the priest, of course, in the Old Testament, they sort of represented man. Like, okay, here's God, and here's man. And there were, they went in between, you know, so that people can approach God. The priest would offer sacrifices. And you can read the book of Leviticus. It's really basically de describing how the, the sort of the rules of how do you approach this God. The, the children of Israel have gone out of e e uh, uh, Egypt and Exodus, and they, they were getting into the law, but the, at, at the end of Exodus, you have the tabernacle that's filled with God's glory. Well, you can't just walk into the tabernacle because that's dangerous, right? 
So Leviticus is written to sort of as rules for priests to say, how do you approach this God? And it has all kinds of rules and instructions for sacrifices and ceremonies for cleansing. And the priests would, every day, every year, day by day, year by year, would offer sacrifices. It's a bloody affair. Day after day after day after day after day after day after day, right? And in the temple, later on in the temple, there's no chair, there's no seat. It's a constant work. And there was a, there was a team of priests, you know, who were pulled from the, various, from the, the Levites and the, and, the, and the sons of Aaron. They're all busy doing all this stuff, right? But Jesus Christ is a better priest, because why? He offers one sacrifice, one's enough, and that's it. He's sitting down, right? He's better because he's a better sacrifice, or better priest, rather, He's also a better sacrifice. He's not only the priest, he is the sacrifice. I just, <laughs> he's the priest, which means he as the God-man, because he's 100% God, 100% man. It's called the hypostatic union. I'll explain this in more time, but Jesus now, as man, stands before God and is our representative. The writer says, who else you can get to represent you before a holy God? Ooh. Who else? Right? Jesus Christ is the perfect priest because he makes the perfect sacrifice because he alone is the sacrifice. In other words, he's saying, you want to leave and go follow angels or something, but who's the best way to get to God but through Jesus Christ? Amen? There's only one way to God. Oh, that's so... You Christians are so exclusive. You're, you know, all roads lead to God. Nonsense. Do all roads lead to my house? Come on, you don't live life that, that way, do you? Well, it's religious, so all religion is man-made, except for Christianity. All man-made religions is work your way up, work your way up, work, 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 work. And some religions are, oh, you'll die and get another chance. And that's this endless cycle of, you know. I mean, they try that in the, in the first time in, in Genesis. Work, 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 you know. doesn't get you any closer to God. I mean, we can barely put a man out in outer space. We're going to go to heaven? No. Christianity is God coming down to earth because we can never make it up to heaven. Yeah, so Jesus Christ says, I am the way. I am the way. You have a problem with that? Take it to Jesus because he said it and he proved it. He's our high priest. He's, our, he's the best way to be right with God is what the writer is really saying. He's having cleansed, he cleansed, uh, having accomplished cleansing for sins. All of your sins have been washed and he cleanses permanently. You know, Jesus had one sacrifice and that was it. The other priests, those four guys, they had to get up the next morning and make more sacrifices. And those animals weren't really washing away sins. It was just covering until the time of Jesus. He's a better way to be right with God because he's a better priest and he's a better sacrifice. Hebrews 7.27 says, Who does not need daily like those other high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people 
because he did this once for all when he offered up himself. The priest had to offer sacrifice for himself and for the people as well. Christ did it one time. He cleanses permanently. He cleanses perfectly. He cleanses sufficiently. All sin has been cleansed under the blood of Christ. All sin. Even that one sin you think is not forgivable or cleansable by God. No, not even that one. Christ's blood is, washes all away sins. That's why it says in Hebrews 10, 12, that but he having offered one sacrifice for sins all, for all time sat down at the right hand of God. The writer actually is introducing some introductory stuff in the first chapter that he'll later develop. So we'll get more into the priest's stuff later on. It's going to give me a little preview. So he's a better priest, a better sacrifice who having accomplished cleansing for sin, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Not only is Christ a better sacrifice and a better priest, he's also a better ruler. Look at what it says here. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. First of all, the right hand is the power side. It's the strength. You read in the scripture about the you know, right hand of God. The right hand, the right hand was the, the arm of strength. All right? He rules with strength and with power. He rules with power and strength. It says that he sat down. Of course, he sits down because he's resting. He sat, sits down because he's accomplished his work. He sits down in the place of position as ruler and authority next to God, which means that he is equal with God. That's the whole point he's trying to make here, is that Jesus is God. Now, this is, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty. The majesty is the word that means greatness. And it describes the quality of a person that inspires awe and reverence. The majesty on high inspires awe. I remember um, I took my kids to, um, to England a couple years ago. They were into British shows and British stuff. And I didn't want to go, I'll be honest. I was like, oh, okay. You know, I just wasn't, in, you know, I just didn't know. But I actually loved it. It was great, you know. But we went and did a tour of um, Buckingham Palace. We did this state tour, you know, like 30 staterooms. That place is impressive. I was like, wow. You know, that's, I was like in awe. I mean, the, the artwork and the, the, the gold and the, the just the, the quality of it was like like oh my goodness I would never want to leave here you know and that's 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 Buckingham Palace that's a man-made structure and I was in awe imagine now your visions on God and it's like not only am I giving help all but all the angels give are in awe of him the highest of creation is in awe of him sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. And he's seated as king of kings. He's seated in a place of power, a place of honor. Jesus Christ is king. I mean, you know, think about this. We, we, 
we, I love the fact that Christ is my Savior, right? And he, became, he took on flesh and became a man, right? Which he's still indwelling flesh for all time. He's got a new body. But he's still God. Okay? I can relate to him because he's a fellow man. He's got a beard. He's got, you know, he's got hair. And he's, he lived. He understands. But I can re- also realize, recognize, like, wait, but there's something different about him. He's God. I think sometimes we forget. We, I love the fact that Christ visits us in our, in our, in our, in our brokenness and our weakness. Praise God. But let me never forget. He's God. He says a command, and the angels are like, "Yep, on it, sir." He is seated in the place of honor and power and authority. Isaiah 9 says that for unto us a child has been born, a son has been given. You know the verse we sing it or we read at Christmas time. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. That's Jesus Christ. And so he says, who having accomplished cleansing for sin, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on High, having become, verse 4, so much better than the angels. Now, I have to ask, why are you bringing up angels? Because <laughs> I'm not into angels. There's people who are into angels. I know that you go to the bookstores and they have the whole section about angels. You ever go to some of these smaller bookstores? I went to Barnes and Noble, they changed their, now it's all religion, but you used to have all their different sections, you know, and angels were quite, you know, with the interest of. Of, you know, recent years, but in those, in that time, angels were really highly respected, and especially in the intertestamental period, the Second Temple uh, writings, uh, they had high veneration for angels. Uh, in fact, we think that angels were even worshipped. In fact, in Colossians, I think it's in Colossians where he hints that some people worshipped angels. And so they, they had this high uh, respect for angels, you know, now, angels were, were um, angels are extremely powerful beings, right? And we think there's probably trillions of them. It says there's myriads upon myriads. A myriad is 10,000. So 10,000 of 10,000 of angels. There's a lot of angels out there, right? And they have different structure. They have different powers. And, and, and we're made lower than the angels, you know? But we don't worship angels. Um, let me just tell you. Let's let's talk about what what God, what the Word of God teaches about angels. Angels, of course, are creatures like us, and they are to praise the Lord. In Psalm one forty eight two, it says, "Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts." Angels have emotions. They have attributes like us. They have emotions. In Isaiah 6, 3, it says that they see God and they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Think of all the mighty angels that are around. And they all look at God and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Their spirit, now here it says in verse verse 7, who makes his angels winds, that's uh, another description for spirit, and his ministers flaming fire, they have great power as well. Sometimes angels have taken on physical form. We know that in Genesis 18 when Abraham visited, uh, was visited by God and two other guys. They were angels. 
They come to check out what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. Those were angels. They took on physical form. Later on, the Hebrew writer will say, hey, be careful, but be nice to strangers because they might be angels in disguise. Right? Angels uh, aren't like us. They don't marry. They don't reproduce. They have great power. And yes, those people who have seen angels are afraid. <laughs> Get up. Um, some of the angels, of course, sinned against God and rebelled against God. We think that perhaps, and this is why he's bringing this up, that the angels may have been the means by which the law was given. So look at, um, look at chapter 2 in Hebrews. This is why I think they're part of the veneration is that the Old Testament, the law, the Ten Commandments, was given through an angel. God gave it to the angel. The angel I'll, I'll show you. Watch this. Verse 2 of chapter 2. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, he's talking about the word of the Old Testament. If that word was, like, it didn't, you can't change it and didn't fail, um, then, and every past disobedience received a just penalty. So he's talking about words spoken through angels. Look at also at the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 7. We're going to look at that. Um, no, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, um, do I want to do X? Let's go Galatians first. Galatians. Galatians 3. This is the idea, the belief and the, the, uh, that, that, that God used angels to, to communicate his law. Galatians 3 is to your left from Hebrews. Verse 19, Paul says, Why the law then? It was added because of trespasses, having been ordained through what? Angels. By the hand of a mediator until the seed would come to, to whom the promise had been made. Now go to Acts chapter 7. To your left, a couple of books. Acts 7. Verse 51. Well, this is Stephen giving his, his, his sermon. And towards the end, he's getting to the, near the end. He says in verse 51, You men stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You're, all, you're always resisting the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. In which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained or delivered by angels and yet did not observe it. So, the idea was that angels in the Jewish mind were highly venerated and thought of because God used angels to communicate messages from God, right? And the tendency was like, wait, do you want to worship angels? 
Jesus Christ is better than the angels. They're the messenger. He's the one who sends the message, right? They're the created being. He's the creator, right? They do his bidding. Amen? Jesus is not just... Now, here's where he's going. Go back to Hebrews. This is where he's... I think this is where he's going with this. He says, having become... Go back to Hebrews 1, 4. Having become so much better than the angels... Why? As he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Here's what's going on. The worth of the angels was great. It was the Old Testament. It was a law. It was great. But it couldn't make you righteous, could it? Read the Old Testament. Read the, the scriptures. It, it points out your sin, reveals your sin, but it doesn't give you the power to conquer that, right? It doesn't give you the power to, to really wash it away, the old way was given through angels. The new way is through Jesus Christ. And, and, and the writer of Hebrews said, Jesus is a better way to God because he's the, he's the proclaimer of a new covenant. God had to say through, like, like through Jeremiah, I'm going to give him a new heart. And, and Ezekiel goes, well, a new, a new, a new, there's a new plan here, right? Don't go back to the old plan. That won't get you very far. Okay? Jesus proclaims, a better way to God. Some people want to make their own way to God, but Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Verse 4, Having become so much better than the angels, says he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Are you guys still with me? Are you tracking? I, I have to say something. I'll never... When I say I think I'm going to go to verse 12, okay... It's not a promise. <laughs> it's a hope. <laughs> but I recognize there's so much truth in the Word of God. And there's times we I camp out, and, times, and I just feel like there's such depth to this right here. You know? There's, there's even in the world today, there's, there's, there are people who are following after false Christs. You know, let's, let's make sure we're following after the real Jesus, Right? Um, it says, <clears throat> verse 4, he has inherited a more excellent name. What does that mean? Here's the name. He, he, the name is, is given in verse 5 and 6. What's the name? It's the name Son. What? I thought he was the Son. Well, I'll explain that. He says, for which, to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my Son, today I have begotten you? Now, Natalie read from Psalm chapter 2, which is, this is from Psalm 2, verse 7. And it's a regal, it's a royal psalm. It was actually given uh, when the king was anointed or, or as king. But then it obviously applies to somebody greater than that king because it applies to Christ. It's a messianic psalm. And what it's describing here is the son, this particular son's unique relationship with God. Jesus Christ has a unique relationship with God. Angels are called sons of God in the scripture. Bene Elohim, sons of God. Jesus Christ is the son of God. He's, we're children of God in one sense, but he's the son of God because he shares the nature of God. He shares the attributes of God. He is God in the flesh. So he says, For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Does this mean that Jesus wasn't the Son of God before he was born? No. We know he's the Son of God because 
uh, even before he's born, because I read, okay, Isaiah 9. A son is given, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Eternal God, right, Mighty God. And when Mary is visited by the angels in, in Luke, it says he, is, he will be great and called the Son of the Most High. And Luke one thirty five also says that the child will be called the Son of God. We know he's the son before he's even born. He's also the son, of course, at his baptism where the father said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased, right? When Jesus is transfigured and he takes off the robe, so to speak, of hiding all his glory and Peter and James and John see this and the father says, this is my son. I think what the writer here is referring to is at the resurrection because he's accomplished what he's accomplished. He's accomplished the cleansing of her sin. There's a new title that is, that is given to Jesus that takes new significance at the resurrection. When you were a son, you got the inheritance, right? He is the son uh, at the resurrection. That's why in Paul says in Romans... Romans 1, verse 4. Let me just read that real fast. Who was designated as the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The significance that Hebrews is writing, is writing about is that at his, at his resurrection, Something significant happened where the title was took on new significance because he accomplished, he accomplished the work of the Father. He's got a greater name than the angels, a greater relationship with God. In fact, that's what he says in verse 5. Go back to Hebrews 1, 5. And I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. He has a unique relationship with the Father. He is the Son of God. And he has a superior name than the angels. The name of Jesus has great significance and power. You know when demons hear the name of Jesus, they shudder? Just his name spoken brings fear to demonic realm. I, I just have to ask, why doesn't it do that for us? <laughs> right? Here comes a demon-possessed person, and Jesus walks up, and before Jesus can say a word, the demon-possessed man, the demon says, you're the son of God. What are you doing here? Well, you're the son of God. Don't hurt us, right? They recognized who Jesus was. Jesus Christ, his name and title, brings fear to the demonic realm. We ought to be saying his name more than less. Let's not sing to him. Let's sing to Jesus, right? I love the, 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 um, the, the songs that Nick picks are Christ-centered and Christ-exalting, you know? And, and, he, and, it's, and just we, we, we're here to worship him. We know who him is. It's Jesus, right? But it's like, kind of like Jesus. The angels know who he is. Um, 
And that's another reason why he's greater. Look at verse 6. Is the angels worship him, Christ. He's better because he's worthy of worship. Worthy of worship. We sing that song this morning. Worthy. Is that the one? Yeah, he's worthy. He's worthy. Even the angels worship him. You and I are made to worship God. You want to know what your purpose in life is? It's to worship God, right? We were made to worship in heaven. We're going to come in and they're worshiping like, okay, yeah, let's, let's do it, you know? Worship. He says, and when again he brings the firstborn into the world. The word, the word firstborn, it's really a title of rank. Israel is my firstborn. This means his first, means he's a title of rank. In fact, if you look at, um, if you look at Psalm 89, go to Psalm 89. I just want to point this out. Because some people come knocking at your door on Saturday at the most inconvenient time. will say that Jesus was, the first, was, was not, he's they claim he's not God but but they pull out of the scripture and they 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 say well he's firstborn that means he's not God well no no look at this look at Psalm look at Psalm 89 verse 27 and tell me when you're there okay you guys are quiet maybe just maybe just me because <laughs> look at this Psalm 89 Verse 27, I also shall make him my firstborn. It's the, the Greek word is prototakas. It could be firstborn like your firstborn child, but also it could be first in rank. And look, look what it says here. I shall make him my firstborn, and here's what it explains, the highest of the kings of the earth. When the firstborn re- referring to, he's the highest of the, he, there's, Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. There's no one greater, and his name has power, and he is to be worshipped. And the angels worship him. He's better than the angels because even the angels worship him. Don't worship angels. Worship the God whom the angels worship. By the way, some people are into astrology, right? Some people follow the astrology, and they figure the stars dictate their light. Nonsense. Worship the God who put the stars in the sky. Amen? And each one of those stars, each one, each, everyone has a name. And the one who gives them the name is God Almighty. Worship Him. Amen? Don't mess with that stuff. That astrology nonsense, go down the wrong road. It's not from God. It's not from God. Jesus is better than the angels because even the angels worship Him. The scene in heaven in Revelation 5, 11 says, Then I looked... And I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands. You're talking trillions and you've got an innumerable amount of angels and beings worshiping God. Here's what they're saying. Saying with a loud voice, who are they worshiping? Look at what I said. Oh, oh, I didn't tell you this. Turn there. Revelation 5. Sorry. (laughs) It's like I just left the station and (laughs) left you all there. (laughs) Left you hanging. (laughs) Sorry. I'm excited, man. How could you, Revelation 5.11, how could you not be excited about Christ? Although I admit, I have my times of, of darkness and despair and discouragement, you know, with the enemy. I, let's just be honest, right? 
but the answer is always look into Christ. I think the whole point of this is look to Christ, you know, look to Jesus. Revelation 5.11, Then I looked and I heard a voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is a lamb that was slain to receive power. This is the angels and, the, and the, all these other creatures saying, Worthy is the lamb, the son of God, uh, worthy of who is slain to receive power, riches, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them, I heard them saying, this is all of creation is joining in this chorus of praise. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures saying, kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. You get the scene. And I imagine some of these angels have deep, powerful voices, you know, like James Earl Jones, you know. Holy, 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 worship the Lord. Imagine these huge, mighty creatures are like, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. They're worshiping, and everyone else is worshiping God. He's worthy to be worshipped. Don't, don't, don't jip yourself on worshiping an angel or a man or a leader of some sort. Worship Christ. Follow Jesus Christ. Don't follow, don't follow me, for one thing. I'm just, a, I'm, just a, I'm just a vessel, right? But follow Jesus Christ. Worship Him, right? We all stand together before the cross and say, Lord, you are worthy. Worship is a response, right, to God. Worship is a response to, to God, right? So when you worship, you think of the qualities of God and you respond to that. Or you, you know, that's why you, you respond to what, you, what you're learning about God. Or in this case, what you're seeing and understanding, where is the, worthy is the lamb, Right? It's a response to the God we see or the God who is, the God, the God who has come. But but worship, I think, is also, and I see this in this in this text here, and I see it later on in Hebrews, where there's a sense of awe. Why is it that Christ is honored in such a way and adored in such a way? Because only he cleanses sins. Only he has the power and the name and the authority. There's a sense of wonderment and respect and awe. L look at, look at um, and I'll finish after this point here. Look at chapter 12 of Hebrews. Look at chapter 12. Watch this. I want to show you a couple things here. Because there's our worship is an adoration, right? I love you, Lord. I respond to it. But there's a sense of awe because there's, he is so much greater. So much greater. I was in awe at Buckingham Palace. Buckingham Palace ain't nothing compared to what God is doing up in heaven, right? And who God is, right? But I was in awe of some man-made little thing, right? Or you see a movie star, they're beautiful in person. Wow, right? Look at them. Wow, is she beautiful, you know? But God is so much greater. 
Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude. That's part of worship. By which we, that's part of worship. Gratitude. Thank you, Lord. I love you, Lord. By which we offer, may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. When the angels worship God, it is with reverence and awe. When we worship God, we, we, we adore God, right? And, we're, and it's, it's an awe-inspiring thing. I, I want to show you one more thing. Can I show you one more thing? Am I excited? Have I had coffee today? I have actually had coffee today. To be <laughs> Isaiah 6. Look at Isaiah 6. Go back to Isaiah 6. Watch this. Jesus is so much better than the angels because he has a higher name, a position, he's a better priest, and he is worthy of worship. Look at Isaiah 6. Watch this. Look at verse 3. Isaiah, or verse, verse 1, okay? In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw, this is Isaiah speaking, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. By the way, we know from John's commentary that this is Jesus who he sees. I saw the Lord lifting, uh, uh, the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, with the train of His robe filling the temple. Seraphim—that's a, a class. They're actually called fire. They're fiery-looking angels. They're magnificent. They surround the throne. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called out to another, saying, "Holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory." They're worshiping God, amen? The angels are worshiping God. And then it says, the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called out while the house of God was filling with smoke. Look what Isaiah's response was. They're saying, holy, holy, holy. And what is he saying? Woe is me, for I am unclean, and I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh of hosts. His act of worship is a realization of the, the incredible, what's the word I'm looking for? The awe and reverence for God. That's why the disciples, after Jesus calms the storm, and, he come, and he, they, they look at him and say, they said, they worship him. Who are you? What's my point? Worship God, right? There's no one greater than God to worship. Amen? Worship the Lord. Oh. I feel like I'm not doing this justice because <laughs> there's so much, right? There's just so much, but we can take our time. I'll take my time. I'll slow down. Jesus Christ is the name above all names. He's the king. He's on the throne. He's the perfect priest. He's the perfect sacrifice. Angels worship him. Let's make it our life's goal then to be worshipers of God, to be worshipers of Christ, to adore him, to reflect him, to praise him, to have reverence for him. Jesus Christ is better. The angels surround the throne. Jesus Christ sits on the throne. 
The angels are creative beings. Jesus Christ is the creator. Jesus Christ remains the same forever and ever and everyone else decays. He is God Almighty. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are worthy of worship. Lord, you have a name as the Son of God, but your name isn't just a title, Lord. It's who you are. Every attribute of God is found in you, Lord. You are worthy of honor and worship and praise. At your name, people become saved. It's no other name by which we are given to be saved but the name of Christ Jesus. At your name, people get healed. At your name, people are set free. At your name, people are given hope. At your name, angels respond. God, thank you. Lord, that though you are so great and mighty, that you haven't forgotten where we're at. That somehow in your wisdom and your love, you cared enough to add more, to add more worshipers to your kingdom by sending your, your son Christ Jesus to, to die on the cross for our sins. You said to the woman at the well, the Father is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. We have the greatest Savior of all. The other religions of the world have dead leaders. We can't give them any hope. We have a risen Savior who is our priest, our king, our God who offered himself as the perfect sacrifice. Lord, let it be that we join in the chorus of angels singing, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb. God, I pray even today, Lord, that you would make us true worshipers of your son. We love you, Lord. Pray that our lives would be a life of worship and dedication to, to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let me stand up. God is, God is so good. Remember to come over to our house afterwards for lunch. We'd love to have you. Some of you guys are a little bit new. We'd love to get to know you more and love to have fellowship and just encourage one another and, and bless one another. And let me pronounce a blessing on you. Moses told Aaron, say these words to pronounce my name on, on the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in Jesus' name. Go in God's peace. Blessings from the Lord. Amen.